1: Well, welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the news. We're going to highlight the stupid because, well, you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we're going to call up and talk to uh, one of my favorites around here in the Fox world that you may or may not know, Jimmy Thalia. And he's got a Fox News radio show. Um, He's been a stand-up comic. Just a really highly entertaining guy. I cannot tell you where the direction of that discussion is going to go but I tell you what, he's had a, a series of life uh, events uh, that I think you're going to want to hear about and he's just an all around funny, funny guy. Grew up in New York and you're going to want to hear about his uh, his his version of life and things that he went through and uh, I just really look forward to, to giving him a call so stay with us on that. But um, I got to tell you, there is, and this this almost qualifies for doing something stupid somewhere, but uh, I, I, a few thoughts on the news. Afghanistan is going to continue to be an ongoing problem, not only because we have Americans behind enemy lines and that they can't get out, and that at some point we're going to hear more about these horrific stories, harrowing experiences, and probably people that are going to not be able to survive along the way. And I don't know if there's going to be video or audio or just firsthand accounts. I, I worry that there are going to be an untold number of stories that we're just not going to hear. The State Department has not been clear with us as to how many people, because if you start to come up with the count, then you obviously know who and who is not there. Um, I saw this story that was on uh, National Public Radio that uh, said that the Taliban is going to forbid women from playing sports. Now, obviously, they're not going to allow them to participate in the government. Um, I thought it was laughable at best, sad. At worst, is just have our United States State Department uh, express and feign exasperation that the idea that uh, the Taliban government apparatus is not going to have any women in it. I mean, what did they think was going to be? The Taliban has never been a champion or even an even acknowledged the role of women in society it's highlighted by the idea that uh, they're going to forbid women from playing in sports there was a translation done by SBS and it said this is from the deputy head of the Taliban's cultural commission okay so they have a cultural commission there and it said quote I don't think women will be allowed to play cricket because it's not necessary that women should play cricket according to the head of the Taliban's Cultural Commission. Now, that's their approach to human rights. That's their approach to balance. That's their approach to how they're going to treat women. Of course, they're not going to have anybody in the cabinet. What Who did the, the Taliban put into their cabinet? They put the interior minister. And by the way, the interior minister is different than how we do it here in the United States. You know, the Department of Interior, the Secretary of Interior in the United States is dealing with like public lands, Indian affairs, things like that. A host of other, you know, very important responsibilities. But an uh, in interior department They're in a place like Afghanistan or others, Libya and whatnot. The interior, that's their essentially law enforcement. They're the ones that protect their homeland. They're the ones that enforce the rules and the laws. They don't have a Department of Justice. They have the Interior Department. And uh, who is running that? Somebody who's on the terrorist um, bounty list from the United States of America. I believe the number is $10 million that uh, the United States government has put up that if you are able to bring this person to justice, uh, you'll be paid... uh, $10 uh, Ten million dollars. That's how bad this guy is. But that's now who's in place and running uh, Afghanistan. And to think that the Taliban is anything other than a terrorist organization, nefarious group of people who will have no regard for human rights. Uh, it's just kind of disgusting. As we, um, you know, uh, last uh, Saturday passed uh, by the twentieth anniversary of nine eleven. The other thing I want to talk about on the news, a little bit of foreshadowing here, you have this $3.5 trillion uh, package that they want to have passed. Now you have Senator Manchin, you've had some, uh, as Senator Cinema express concern about how big and massive this package is. I think what you're going to see is a little insight, a little bit of a prediction, but a little bit of insight is they're going to pass what's probably first, it's what's called the continuing resolution. So... Gone are the days of trying to pass things through normal regular order Nancy Pelosi Chuck Schumer have no desire to try to do this whatsoever, and what they do is there's a you hear these different words: one is an omnibus okay an omnibus is we're going to put a whole bunch of things in a package um, plus some of the other ongoing spending, and that'll be an omnibus and it's just one up or down vote. another one is what's called a continuing resolution. A continuing resolution is we're going to continue to spend at the level that we've been spending, but we're going to add on some other things to it. Um that is probably what the united states senate is going to pursue this is going to be somewhere between 30 and 42 billion dollars and here i guarantee you you know i wrote a book that was called they never let a crisis go to waste the truth about disaster liberalism it's right out of the democrats playbook the playbook goes like this let's take all those things you would never vote against put them in a package and then put something really bad in there that is just going to have to pass. So you, if you start looking at the debt ceiling and what's called SALT, the state and local taxes. State and local taxes right now was capped by the Republicans at $10,000. That is, if your tax bill for state taxes was whatever the number was, you could pay that in, t- in state taxes and then deduct that from your federal tax bill. So it It basically, for these high-tax states like New York, California, New Jersey, what happened was they wouldn't mind that taxes were so high because then they just didn't have to pay the federal tax. Well, Republicans came in and capped that at $10,000. So if you earned and had to pay taxes in excess of $10,000, well, guess what? Uh, In doing so... You couldn't deduct that from their federal taxes, so it got, became much more painful, particularly for those that are making a lot of income, for the rich. So despite all the rhetoric that's coming out of the Democrats that says, oh, we need to have them pay their fair share, the Democrats are going to go exactly against that, paying their fair share and doing things for rich people by getting rid of that tax cap and basically giving the rich people a break that is they will pay less taxes on high income it does nothing for your average person who's maybe making $60,000 a year that does raising the the salt level or getting rid of that for state and local taxes does nothing for that person it's only going to help people who are making six figure incomes and above and beyond anyway i think they're going to take the debt ceiling which is a discussion that they don't ever want to have in democrats world and they're going to take the salt issue and they're going to couple it with money for the flooding, money for the fires, money for things that nobody wants to vote against. They'll couple this together in an omnibus and say here's this 40, 30 to 42 billion dollars. It's just a continuing resolution. It just allows government to operate for a few more weeks. But that's how they'll pass and dismiss this. Now, Democrats are going to have to do go it alone. But then whenever you go back to a Democrat during the campaign season and say, you voted to raise the debt ceiling yet again. You voted to give a tax break to the rich. They say, no, we had no choice. We had no choice. We had to do it. It was money for the floods. It was money for the... And they'll be able to ha- pivot and have an excuse. It's something that is going to happen by... Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. So listen to what they're saying. It's going to be exactly the opposite. It's a tax benefit to the richest Americans. It is not something that actually helps the average American. Oh, but it was flooding money. They could have dealt with that separately. Anyway, I think that's what's going to be happening. Hey, but that's where they're going with this. All right. Time to bring on the stupid because you know what? Somebody's always doing something stupid somewhere. All right, I saw this story because I was actually on uh, the Gutfeld Show, um, and we talked about this critical issue. So I'm bringing it up again. If you saw me on Gutfeld, um, it's the story of the Grimace. Now, can you picture um, what's going on uh, at McDonald's? And you look at those characters that they had at McDonald's. This one, nobody eats more McDonald's than I do. So I know this pretty well. But you think of all those McDonald's characters. Well, finally, somebody at McDonald's took an official position and said, well, we're going to explain to you what the Grimace is. Now, originally, it was... An evil, it was called the Evil Grimace back in like 1971. Then it transitioned and just became the Grimace. Some call them Mick Grimace, but is called the Grimace. Now they've come out and said, you know, when people are looking at this purple thing and saying, you know, what is the Grimace? And they said, well, it's actually a taste bud. That is the but it, that, that is so stupid. That is not the right answer to what this question is. But they're saying that to be just, you know, perfectly politically correct this thing is a taste bud all right come on folks McDonald's that's just a stupid answer he was started off as the evil grimace and that is not true he's the grimace and uh he's not actually a taste bud but they think it is so that's my take on something stupid this week You're listening to Jason in the house. We'll be back right after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. All right, now it's time to phone a friend. And like I said at the beginning, Jimmy Failure, uh, he's just a great guy. And I hope you take some time to listen to this, because if you're around Jimmy, I'm telling you, it's just a fun conversation. He just puts a smile on everybody's face. He's a stand-up comic. He's got, uh, you go to Amazon Prime. He's got uh, a show up there. He's been a taxi driver, and he's got a Fox news radio show that I highly encourage you to listen to. He's got great insight. So let's give Jimmy a call. Hello! (laughs) Hello! Is Jimmy there? Oh wow! This is Jimmy Faila right here. <laughs> I'm glad you pronounced your last name because nobody else can. Yeah, nobody can. Don't feel
0: bad about this, Jason Chaffetz. I have heard my name mispronounced, and I mean this. It was once mispronounced at a family reunion, and the average <laughs> person. I'm like, wait, we don't, we can't pronounce our name. Like at that point, I was like, all right, everybody else gets a free pass. This is embarrassing now.
1: Well, but I thought it's... Chaffetz was bad, but you
0: know, at least I. But do, do you want to know what happens in this day and age? Because it's Fela F A I L L A. Everybody sees the double L and they want to be like, you know, everybody's like so culturally sensitive yeah. But they think the L is like Faya. You know, Faiya, I get a lot of that. And it used to happen in my cab, too. And it was so funny because when I was a cab driver in New York City, like people thought of, you know, like a, a white cab driver is kind of an endangered species. There weren't a lot of us left. But they wouldn't say that. They would say, oh, it's uh, so good to see a Native American New Yorker driving a taxi because <laughs> they didn't want to say white. I'm like, I get what's going on here. It's OK. It's yeah, there's not a lot of me, but uh, OK, I'm happy to be here. Nonetheless, Jason Chaffetz.
1: <laughs> the, the funniest thing is, you know, Chaffetz actually has some Jewish heritage to oh, it. Is it. True. So when I was in Congress, I would do fundraisers in like you know Florida or mm-hmm. in New York, and there'd be a number of Jewish people in the audience. Inevitably, they pronounce my name perfectly. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm running for Congress in Utah, and they're like, "Chaffetz," eh, <laughs> you know, they can't they can't get through it. Well, I will tell you
0: that it's funny about background traveling as a cab driver. Um, I really did know three guys named Osama bin Laden. So, on the, on the fateful Sunday evening in which they announced his killing, someone had texted me they got Bin Laden. I was like, "For what? Speeding?
1: Yeah. I'm like, what? I told them to slow down near LaGuardia because I just didn't know. But here we are." It wasn't one guy that was like abnormally tall and skinny. And... <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't the
0: guy. But I will just add one more caveat to traveling with our last names. I was recently vacationing in your hood. I was out in Utah, oh. and which is a beautiful place, as I told you when I ran into you this morning. Uh, but when you travel to Utah with my accent, everyone there assumes that I'm in the witness protection program. <laughs> everyone I met. If I had been asked to kill someone for money one more time while I was out there, I'm like, no, I'm just visiting family, man. <laughs> But everybody thought I'd been stashed away under some We watch act.
1: We watch a lot of movies in Utah. Yeah. You know, the bar scene is not quite as big as maybe it is in other parts of the country. So we watch a lot of movies. So I loved it. Yeah, witness protection in, in Springville, Utah probably makes a lot of sense. <laughs> That's
0: exactly what it was. They're like,
1: were you in Goodfellas? I'm like, no, no, not, not the real one, no. no. Just, a, just a guy. Well, uh, so let's go back here. I mean... Uh, I, I'm fascinated by it. I, we're sitting in a studio here when we're having this discussion, and it's filled with all sorts of memorabilia. This is, uh, I'm taking it, this is stuff that you grew up with. This is like my
0: bedroom, my childhood bedroom circle, like 1986. So there are, you know, He Man toys. There's a Voltron, if you remember Voltron, yeah. the five lions that make the being. There's an old school Millennium Falcon. My radio studio basically looks like the inside of a van that promised you candy. You know, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> come here, look. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, and I've had people come in and have like severe reactions. I've also had people have emotional breakdowns because seeing like a childhood toy, like a Ricky the Dragon steamboat wrestling toy triggers some type of like flashback emotion, you know? So it's been on both ends of the spectrum. But I basically have this stuff here because it looks good on the Fox Nation shoot, but it also does a good job for guests of establishing the low intellect of my show. It's like once you come and you see the toys, you're like, all right, I guess this it shouldn't be too wonky.
1: You know? Well, you know, I, th- th- there are things that I can relate to. Uh, first of all, the, the Game Boy here with the baseball, you know, I, I between the football and uh-huh. the baseball one, yeah. I mean, just, and it was so old school in that that game we're referring to,
0: it would it was a baseball game. It would pitch you a ball, which was just a red dot. Yes, it it,
1: would, the red it dot would flash come once down. or twice,
0: and yeah. you had to hit your own red dot at the yeah. same time. And sometimes you'd hear a batted ball sound and the crowd would cheer. But it was not baseball, it was
1: a red dot in your hand, is what this it was. This is old school electronics. And then the USFL, because mm-hmm. my dad was actually um, uh, the general manager for the Air. Arizona Wranglers. Well, was that a thing? That's amazing. way back in that day when in Arizona, and you right in front of me is the Generals, which was Donald yeah, Trump's team. His team. You remember Donald Trump actually sued the NFL because mm-hmm. he couldn't get a team, yes. and he won that lawsuit. True story. Yeah, and I remember I actually asked the president about this because I, I I made the mistake of saying. Well, how's your relationship um, with Roger Goodell? <laughs> oh no, you asked the wrong question at and, the party. Um, <laughs> and maybe I shouldn't, have, because yeah. like, well, yeah, you know, I I did win that suit, but I only got a dollar. Um, and <laughs> so, um, whoops, I, maybe I shouldn't ask the president <laughs> of that question. But he had the the generals, mm-hmm. which was Herschel Walker. Yes, Herschel Walker. And so, in the visiting room of the Arizona Wranglers, I worked in the visitor's room. I was just a teenager, skinny teenager. And here is Herschel Walker. In yeah. fact, I've got it. I got Herschel Walker's autograph. Now he's him? running for the United States Senate. <laughs> Donald Trump's been the President of the United States. It all started in the USFL. Who it knew? all started in the USFL. So I, you have two USFL helmets in Listen, here.
0: Listen, you know, this, this show in a lot of ways is really just a cry for help. It's like the ch- <laughs> my childhood intellect hasn't evolved. There's clearly some type of a gambling overtone. If you notice I have a game bowl here from a 15 strikeout performance I threw in 1987 that, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. But I'm trying, you know,
1: again, I'm trying to give everybody who interacts with the there's show. There's only one thing that scares me. What here. is it? it's the framed Pee-Wee Herman
0: photo. <laughs> Listen, I consider Pee-Wee's Big Adventure, okay? I'm not gonna speak. You gotta be you gotta separate the art from the artist. I, I love the movie Pee-Wee's Big Adventure. Not that I wouldn't sit at a theater with Paul Rubens, if you get what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't go to the movies with him, but I would watch him in the movies. I loved Pee-Wee's Big Adventure. It's such a great American road story. And uh, I have that up because that's evil, angry Pee-wee. He's, like, moments away from beating up Francis, who has stolen his bicycle Yes, in an epic fight scene. Deservedly so, yes. The Buxtons are not thieves, Pee-wee. That's what the father says. And then he offers them the chewing gum, the trick chewing gum that, like, you know, inks out their mouths or whatever. But I consider angry Pee-wee kind of the spirit animal for what we do. Okay, we're tackling fierce issues, but it's very approachable in that we have, like, a Pee-wee sensibility. We
1: laugh at Yeah, well, if he's the inspiration that you need to hold. We didn't use that in the the uh, the, the uh, oversight committee to get inspiration. We had Abraham Lincoln up on it. It's a
0: different crowd. Like I said, your dad was running the Wranglers. My dad lost our house betting on the Wranglers.
1: It's a different sensibility, Chaffetz. I can just see it now. Jimmy, whatever your last name is, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Failure. Oh, uh, you don't, yeah. Failure. Jimmy Fela, You'll get there. Fela. The uh-huh. You know, in the oversight room, one of the things you get to do is decorate the oversight room. You get to decide what paintings what not go up. Oh, that's funny. And, and in Congress, what they did is normally it's who the congressman had been before. And so they put these big, nice $100,000 paintings up of some which members are still in Congress. like. Yeah. What the crap is that? So I like <laughs> I had it torn down politico wrote this whole article. Got everybody got whipped up because this young member of Congress was taking down all the members' photo. And I put up pictures of like the American people, like steel workers and oh, postal cool. workers. And the only president we put up was Abraham Lincoln because he had actually been the chairman of the oversight committee. Think about that. I did not know that. that's a good fun fact. And did you know my son is named Lincoln?
0: Oh, after, very good. After Abe Lincoln. And there was a, a funny point this summer where, if you remember out in San Francisco, the school district was, you know, they were flirting with the idea of taking his name off of a high school. Yeah. And it had gotten so adverse, we thought my son was going to have to start going by his middle name, OJ. We, uh, <laughs> we didn't. I kid. But no, that was a moment. And, and they wouldn't
1: take that down. No,
0: but he is. He's named Lincoln. My son is named Lincoln. But I didn't know he was on the oversight committee. That's a good
1: one. That's why you come yes, on the Jason Chaffetz podcast. was. Yes, so, it, but... But I can only imagine if you were the chairman. I mean, this, this would be what's up on the walls, right? Is that is that Skeletor? No, it's Nancy Pelosi. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it is an impressive an impressive array here. Um, listen. I, I want people to understand a little bit more about your background and growing up. I mean, because I mean, it's all kind of laid up on this table here, but do you have a lot of brothers? Sisters?
0: Did you just... Um, I come from a pretty big law enforcement family. Like, I would probably be a cop myself if it weren't for the background check. (laughs) A little little touch and go there in the 20s. Uh, No, I grew up uh, on Long Island in Levittown, which, you know, as everybody knows, was the biggest post-World War II settlement for American GIs returning home. They were buying. Levitt houses on the GI Bill basically I grew up around a lot of old men you shouldn't make a sudden move around we yeah. loved America. They drank a lot <laughs> no of cheap loud noises. beer. Yeah, no <laughs> loud noises. A lot of cheap beer. They built a lot of above ground pools. It was great. But everyone in my family, uh, everyone, I mean my dad, both of my brothers are cops. My uncle, every male cousin in my family is either a cop or some kind of first responder. And I actually did take police tests as a young kid, got hired by the Port Authority and the NYPD, but at the time I was already doing stand-up and I didn't want to go get yelled at in the police academy because I had, you know, like a $30 gig three hours from the city to get to. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in showbiz. I don't need this stuff. (laughs) There's a city two hours outside of Buffalo that's paying me in mozzarella sticks. I can't abandon my showbiz career. But that's how it starts out. So I started out uh, growing up on Long Island. Uh, And again, I don't mean to pistol whip everyone with my prosperity, but I did go to Nassau Community College and I Mm. drove a cab. Mm. I was was a New York City cab driver uh, doing stand up at night and just driving. You drive a cab from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. So you get
1: it in the morning. That's kind of living the dream. I mean, this this it is right awesome. out of the movies. It was honestly, it was the best
0: it was the best time of my is
1: life. Is that how you learned what America's thinking about? How what, yes. what do you learn? I that, mean,
0: that is um, a taxi was the original social media. Now you post something on social media and the next guy comments and the next guy comments and the next guy comments. That's what a taxi was. The first guy would get in and he'd be like, God, you know, you see this thing we did over in Afghanistan, and you know, when the second guy got in, it would come up and you'd like, you know, somebody made a point earlier on the way to LaGuardia and it became its own form of social media that there hmm. was a conversation that would filter right through the day. And it helped. Uh, In terms of like my appreciation for what I say is our American privilege is every single person you would pick up at JFK that was returning on some type of business trip would be like, kid, you have no idea how lucky you are to live in this country. And you had a hard time agreeing at the moment because your alarm clock was going off at 310 in the morning (laughs) and your soul was in a fetal position. But comparatively, I was still in the world's 1% in terms of your overall quality of life here. So I've always kind of been in on the joke uh, that we're pretty lucky to be. Here. But what happened is through the process of doing stand up and driving a cab, uh, a Fox Booker one night saw me at a comedy club downtown when I was getting ready to film. I have a stand up special on Amazon um, that'll probably get me canceled if anybody listening watches it. So don't go nuts. I only get a 10 cent royalty from Jeff Bezos if you watch it. So I mean, you know, we don't have to go crazy sandwich boarding this thing. Uh, But when I was in the process, the run up to that, Uh, A Fox booker saw me and brought me in to start doing Kennedy show. And I guess they uh, deduced from watching me, they're like, well, if you throw this guy in camera, we'll look a lot less crazy. So let's start booking this kid. And that's kind of how I started here. Like, you know, about four years ago. Wow, that's...
1: That is good. Now, but but go back. When, when did you f- like figure out that? Hey, you know what? I'm I'm kind of funny. Is that is that the way you skirted through school? Is yes. that was that how you two, survived in the
0: family? Two, two things. I grew up in one of those families where, um, you know, b- back then there was a lot of uh, a lot of f- vigilante justice. You know, it wasn't necessarily your parents straightening you out. It might have been your brothers. It might have been your neighbors. You get beat up a lot. I was like I I was a, a fat like wise guy as a kid, and I would get myself out of a lot of trouble through humor. I found that to be a good Bridge, and then again, getting into middle school and you know pursuing women, um, I had no f- no physical deliverable I could offer my voters. There was <laughs> nothing. <laughs> and to be clear, my head has been this size since kindergarten. Like my brother used to charge the neighborhood kids a dollar to look at me in the backyard. it was a mess. But when I got into middle school, socially, I found like a sense of humor it was an equalizer. You know, people could play sports, people could be other things, but they girls like all... girls like funny guys. you Crush. You have no idea. I have dated like seven tax. It's beyond what my physical income level is like it's embarrassing it is a, noggin. Uh, yes, a big noggin i'll give you that a big it's a it's a, it's a thing so <laughs> so um what difficult? you recall? so i was always kind of into like telling jokes and stuff like that and i had like a weird revelation when i was in college i had a buddy who was a ball player who was in the school play at new york tech because he needed an elective and he was in the school play and i was sitting there watching my buddy steve-o do some s- silly shakespeare thing but i did think Think it was kind of cool that like his family. I really mean this. His divorced mom was in the audience, and I was like, "Wow, it's so cool that she has someone to go on a Friday night now because she never did." Okay. But now she had this thing. And my parents—we were married 27 years. Uh, they eventually did divorce, which is fascinating because when you get divorced and like you know at an advanced age, you're basically saying to the other person, "You know, I'd rather die alone <laughs> than roll with Ouch. you for another yeah. 10 years." It's, it's way more insulting when you get divorced after 30 years than it is when you get divorced after two days. You know, you yeah. hear about those celebrity marriages. But anyway, I had the same revelation. I was like, you know, if I actually started to do stand up as opposed to like telling jokes, I would actually get my mom out of the house. And I'm not kidding. That's really how it started. And then within like just months of it starting, it just it snowballed into like another thing. And I started to be like the guy who performs before the guy you've actually heard of. You know what I mean? Like they so they would say if you know, in certain instances, I'd be like Gotham and Seinfeld would be on. No one paid to see Jimmy Fallon, you know, but they'd see you because they were coming to see Seinfeld. Right. So it'd be like gigs like that. That's kind of how it starts. You start out as like, the, they call you the either the MC or the feature. Okay, the MC is the guy who goes on, obviously, as you know, when everybody's seated. The feature gets the cushiest spot on the gig because everyone's had their drink. The room's been quieted down. He does 15 minutes on a road, the MC paved, and then he just hands off to the celebrity and they murder, you know? Right. So the guy, um, you know they say in boxing, it's not what your record is, it's who you fought. Uh, when you're an MC, you fought everybody. You know, you fought the bad, so the red party you fought right. the loud room you fought the drunk you fought everybody because it's your job to tame the room so i find that that's what actually makes you a better comic so getting into stand-up you start as an mc and that's how it kind of turned into a career So if you'll mc they'll send you everywhere everywhere
1: go a little deeper on that i mean when you how do you fight back on that you know and keep it funny and keep it moving in the right thing i mean In stand-up, for real? So here's the thing. The line we use in politics a lot
0: doesn't apply to stand-up. But we say it a lot. We say, read the room. They say, oh, you got to read the room. And no comedian that's a professional, performing, good comedian ever reads the room. Like, your job as a comic, certain professions require you to lead the room. You're absolutely in charge. Like a commercial airline pilot. He doesn't come on the speaker and say, if it's okay with you, we're going to take off. (laughs) (laughs) If everybody in Section 9 is cool with it, we're going to go to 37,000 feet. I know this is offensive to the 36,000 foot crowd but we're going to go to 37 you actually have to just you really have to own your space and you have to establish you know some currency in that what you're supposed to do is a comic and this is where guys get in trouble in terms of like off color material and offensive stuff is you can never ask an audience to hate something unless they like you first. Hmm. you know and that's a mistake a lot of comics make is they open with offensive stuff that's where they get in trouble because they haven't established that currency with the audience of like hey some of this is gonna be bananas but who am I I'm just some dope who's you know up here pimping liquor for this club you guys are paying twelve dollars for a beer and I'm trying to make that experience interesting for you there's no reason to come after me I got much bigger problems folks you know (laughs) and that usually buys you enough currency to do whatever the heck you want but a lot of comics don't necessarily know how to do that um Because they're just, you know, they're not mindful enough of what's really hanging in the balance. But I would just say this really quick. When it comes to offense in comedy, most of the people getting offended at comedy aren't actually consuming it. You know, they're not in a club where everybody has bought the drinks and hung out and they're part of that thing. They're usually consuming it on the Internet, where it is being, and this is a danger to comedy, it's being consumed in venues where that premise hasn't been established. Hey, everybody here is cool. We were all fine with this off-color, st- you know what I mean, because we're just being silly. But on the Internet, we're not just being silly because we've incentivized outrage. So a lot of people, not necessarily offended, but can claim offense as a way of gaining that other kind of currency of like likes and everything else.
1: That's interesting. Now, when you grew up, uh-huh. who who were your icons? Like, who did you listen to and think, all right, now that to me it was like Steve Martin Bill Cosby yeah, 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 I mean these yeah. are the people that were they were so good no, they fantastic. were so good uh, Bob uh, Newhart uh-huh. Bob Newhart's fantastic he's like so super dry he's
0: the yeah. great bit Bob Newhart does a lot of sketches so like he'll say to the audience alright so here's the guy working the telephone dispatch on the day King Kong climbs the Empire State Building Right. and it's right. outrageous and he's just sitting there depicting this conversation he'd be having with his boss A little bit of a stutter about what he's witnessing is a a gorilla is climbing the Empire State Building. They're firing at it. It's fantastic bit. So I liked as a little kid, um, I always liked things that were repeatably funny. And what I mean is you could watch it, laugh at it, and tell the next person why you laughed. You know, does that make sense? So like physical comedy I didn't like because I, you had to now do Dane Cook's impression of a sprinkler in order for the person to laugh. And even if you did it well, they might not laugh because it wasn't that funny. Um, so I liked Rodney D, Rodney Dangerfield, because he told a lot of good jokes. And as yeah. a little kid, though, I really liked Eddie Murphy just because I didn't um, I was in this weird cusp where I didn't consume Richard Pryor as a little kid. I saw Eddie Murphy first. Right, so he was the Me first too. guy I yeah. watched who was cursing his face off and doing this, and as a little kid, that was outrageous just to be around that kind of language and that kind of vibe. So I loved Eddie Murphy. What's funny about Pryor is when I got into comedy, um, I was consuming so much Pryor, not of him, but of every other comic in the country ripping him off. Like by the time I had seen Pryor, I was like, oh wow, so like none of that guy's jokes are original. None of that <laughs> guy's jokes are original. Like straight out, and I didn't know that Pryor was probably the most Single stolen from comic on earth. And he was fantastic. He was just like a few
1: years before my time. What made you think, hey, you know what, I can go stand up on that stage and I can go do that. I mean, the first time has got to be just so intimidating, right? You're, you're insane.
0: And there's a certain amount of delusion that goes into showbiz and in that, you know, you've watched so many of these stories where it just ends in shambles, you know. But your ambition to do it is kind of deluded, you know. It, it, it kind of convinces you that, you know, you're the one odds-defying guy, you know, that's going to make it through in one piece. And, and you might be, but you still have to get through this horrific showbiz birth canal of performing for nobody or performing in the worst circumstances known to man for like a year and a half, two years. Well, the pay's so good. I can understand why <laughs> you, you get did. The old line is in comedy, we get paid weekly, very weekly. <laughs> uh, hey, all right, <laughs> ha, ta, ta. <laughs> the first time I was on stage, it was at the New York comedy club. This is so crazy. It was an open mic and a woman had gone on before me to actually do a monologue that she was dedicating to her late grandmother. And she punctuated it by placing a rose on the stool And crying her way off stage, and then it's tag team. So I, it's not even an MC. So I just got (laughs) to run up on stage now (laughs) and be like, "My wife, she's fat. How fat is she? Like one of those." It was horrific. And I remember, I'm not even kidding, like I died a thousand deaths. Like it was, you talk about bombing. Like Hamas called the club afterwards. Like that was us. That was our bomb. uh, But I remember running out onto the street like, yo, I'm in showbiz now. Because you're crazy. Because you have to be to get into it. So it's not as scary as it sounds. And I would tell you to this day, like uh, anybody who gets into stand-up, it's usually harder to be off stage, about to go on than it is to be on. Because once you're on, it's live ammo. You're too busy figuring out how to execute to actually feel any of the nerves. Like, I I never feel nervous for a show. And again, that might be some of that little sociopath thing you have going in the beginning that propels you through.
1: So what would you be doing in life if you didn't say, hey, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to go do that comedy thing. I mean, would you still be driving a cab or what would you? No. uh, So listen, driving a cab is
0: definitely, it's something I took up uh, because we moved into the city to like chase down some stand-up. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jenny Fela I was actually like sort of making a living. I mean, again, a comedy living as a as a comedian, doing colleges and stuff like that. But Jenny Fela was pregnant with our only kid, Lincoln Fela. Um and I started basically driving a cab to supplement that income. But if I hadn't got into comedy, period, I would be doing some type of like wonderful sales gig where I would just make a lot of money and just be left alone. You know, because I believe those people have the best the best lives.
1: You know, those guys okay, that have like selling what lizards to pet stores or even what would care? you care? I had a
0: fentanyl. I'm kidding. Uh, know, I'm kidding. Anything doesn't matter. Kind of kidding. Anything because those are the I, I really do harbor a suspicion that the guy who has like eight million bucks that none of us have heard of is probably the happiest guy because he's just he's barbecuing and doing gosh knows what.
1: You know, <laughs> we're all crazy because we just fly so what, into this what? bug what so now you, you got this gig on Fox, you got your radio show, you got you got all these affiliates all over the country, so. Why is that a good fit for, for you? Well, this is what's
0: weird about it, is that I'm, I'm delivering distilling radio from the viewpoint of a consumer. This is the one superpower I have. I say this on the air, is I've spent so much more time in a car listening to this the way my listeners have, as opposed to being the guy on this side of the mic giving it to them, right. that I've kind of figured out. And I do mean this. You know, we talk about algorithms. There is an algorithm to talk radio in the sense that what they really want is they want entertainment. Obviously, they want to be informed. But they do want to feel like they're, they're a part of a community, but B, um, I guess the best way I could explain it to you is um, they don't want to just be sold negativity you know, because it's yeah. exhausting. Yeah. And it's so one note. And what people, I think, failed to realize in the early, you know, infancy of social media is that around four or five years ago, maybe, maybe you say six, and that I was still driving a cab, everyone in the country was now in the entertainment business. You know, with Facebook, everyone's running their own one-man news network now. Hey, it's my dog's birthday. Film at 11. <laughs> we'll have a video of him with a hat on. <laughs> Here's a quiche I cook Check it out. What do you think? You know, we. You know, it's, it's funny, but that's so so when you're on the air now like you have such an obligation to be entertaining to these people because they themselves now fancy themselves entertainers so if you sit there and just yell and scream all day I, I think to most people it's so one-dimensional they don't engage it and that's why I think the show grows so well is it's not that I know what I'm doing it's that I, I probably don't you know I'm just one of them I know when I was sitting in a cab for three hours a day I really appreciated something fun You know, I really appreciated something that was self-aware, you know. So if there was a moment where it was worth calling out your own political party for and you didn't do it as a host, it kind of cheapened your next attack on the other side. Right. So I
1: try to do a self-aware show because it looks a little bit more credible. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Jimmy Failure right after this. Where do you think the country is these days? I mean, it's fascinating to be... to, to look at the country and see how we've changed. You know, 9 nine eleven, which was just last week, was an inflection point. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these younger generations, they weren't even born. Yeah, it's crazy. Or they were infants mm-hmm. when it happened. And to me, 20 years ago, it's like a, a blink of the eye. It's amazing. Like, how did that go by so fast? But... There's a lot of people in this country that feel so disaffected. Mm-hmm. They feel so separated. That yeah. country feels like it's just two different ball teams.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, they but they always say like, "Oh, we feel like we're on the verge of the civil war." I don't think that's true cuz we're the laziest country on the planet. Like unless someone made an app we're not fighting a civil war. You know? There's an app for that. It's yeah, probably out there already. I think Call of Duty is the civil war or Fortnite, whatever they're playing Fortnite on Xbox. Fortnite is probably, yeah. That's a civil war, if we're being honest, is what it is. Uh, but we're definitely there. I think it would help. It would really help. And I don't know if anyone would commit to it, but I always say on the show, we need like a national like moratorium on social media. I think if people walked away from it for like two weeks, they would realize how crazy they sound because social media, you know, it's incentivized conflict. So it's catering to emotions and the worst kind. And anytime you you've ever been in a fight with you know, maybe your wife or somebody you're in a relationship with, you always know in the, when you're operating from a place of anger, you're usually denied the self-awareness to know you're saying stupid or crazy things. You know, Social media is you're jumping into a pit with 20 million other people operating from a place of anger and no one knows how crazy they sound. But I always feel like Twitter is a fight club for people who don't want to get punched. That's all it is. It's the same thing. You go there knowing there's a fight. And I always feel like whenever I log on to Twitter, I'm showing up to a party where everyone's been drinking for four hours And I'm like, I'm never going to catch up with this mood. What am I even doing here? So here's a promo for my show and I'll get out of here now, you know, but I think where we are as a country is we would really get perspective back if we just got outside of our phone and I'm scared because I don't know if we will, but that would be my A1 remedy. That's why I always say the top of the show. I always say like, oh, you could be a Republican, you could be a Democrat, just don't be a beep and we beep it out, you know, but I think that's the truth. I think if you looked at this American moment, as you described it as, you know, two Americas and all of that, we don't need more of one or the other. We just need less of that thing, that provocative, crush the other side mentality. And my fear when we reference 9-11, you know, as we, you know, just sailed by the anniversary last week, it was really fast, is I always wonder if we could
1: demonstrate that same sense of resiliency and team ball. You know, because Well, that's – yeah. See, I think that – what are the things that are going to unite us? You know, it, it, what I worry about is politics has just injected itself into everything. everything. I think people want to go to a ball game. They want to go to – you know, and, and not have to think about they, politics they, or watch a movie or do something and not have politics injected into it. Totally true. I mean, when you think about sports and how that
0: was such a rallying point for us post-9-11 with the George Bush first pitch, in this day and age, whoever that president is, probably getting booed by half the stadium. And it's hard – it's horrible to think, and you think of when Bush threw out that pitch in New York, New York which does lean overwhelmingly Democrat, and we had just come out of a pretty contested election with him in, in Al Gore, yeah. um, but we still recognized what this moment was for all of us, and that's the thing I feel like social media has gotten us away from is it has created those two Americas. That incentivized conflict America of, well, characterize the other side in the worst light possible.
1: And, and here I am injecting politics into it all, but I think this is one of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's biggest problems is that when they took out Donald Trump on Twitter mm-hmm. and Facebook, and when they got rid of him, guess what? Yep. They didn't have the nemesis <laughs> on the other side to be able to point to and say, there's the bad guy. <laughs> it's his a- fault. And they would pay anything to get to Jack Dorsey
0: to get him back. I'm pretty sure that $3.5 trillion spending bill includes like a half a billion for Jack Dorsey to get him back on. Because they do. They need the distraction. It's really funny, but I feel like we're watching. There was a guy who had this silly comic strip he had on the internet. It was called Garfield minus Garfield. And he had taken the cat Garfield out of the comic strip. So now it was just Odie the dog and the owner John. And it was a really boring show without Garfield. And what the Biden administration realizes they is they took Garfield out of the comic strip and Odie and John aren't that interesting, but even worse is they're really bad at what they're doing. Right. And they're being subjected to a lot more scrutiny than they would. Like if Trump was out there heckling them right now, everything they're botching could just be discredited as like Like, oh, it's just Trump. But they don't have just Trump, and they got a real problem on their hands. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because— you know, I don't want to say they lost the media. They, they lost the media for a few days because everybody wanted to distance themselves from Afghanistan. But they have put themselves in a precarious position in that the media, um, who are, is as transactional as anyone who ever lived. And if you don't believe me, ask Andrew Cuomo. Right, you know, right, they right. built him up, but then they couldn't get rid of him fast enough post-election. You know, they will. They are capable of turning on Joe Biden because, understand, at some point there's another election to win. They realize Biden's not even going to run. So right. they, they would hammer him on the way out of office. And I think they're starting to wake up to that reality that he could, he might get clobbered, you know, and Kamala too, because knowing what the scuttlebutt is, there's nobody
1: that sees her at the top of the ticket in 2024. Well, this, right? is, this is their problem, right? They yeah. don't have a communicator. If, if Afghanistan had gone so well, yeah, yeah, Kamala would have been standing right by, shoulder right. to shoulder. Oh, look at her. Look at what we did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she did not even showed up. She, I mean,
0: she's actually polling behind the Taliban right now. She's like two points <laughs> behind the Taliban. It's margin of error, so it's not over yet, but it's, it's within the hunt. But you're right about that. You know, They nowhere to be found. And, you know, for her as a vice president, when you think of what she was tasked with, whether it was the border, you know, whether it was the Voting Rights Act, you know, H.R. 1, it does seem like on some level that they have it out for her. Like, do you not get that feeling? Like that Biden and her, it's it's not it, a.
1: I think it took her about sixty days to figure it
0: out. Yeah. Like, this, this, <laughs> Remember that time in the debate when you said I was a racist who supported <laughs> segregating busing, and yeah. you said you believed my accuser. Well, anyway, I, I I don't know why that came up, but I have an assignment <laughs> for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to need you to head down to the border. Well, not the border. You can go to El Paso. Take care of Texas. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I think it was a setup. Uh, <laughs> so this this world. Your son, Lincoln, right? Mm, Lincoln. Fail. Yeah, what's... uh. What do you what do you expect by the time he turns the corner, and going to college? What do you want that world to look like for him? Well, you gotta hope.
0: I mean, Lincoln is twelve. Um, I think college is a little ambitious for anyone with our DNA. Uh, but no, he'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be there. Uh, college age. Yeah. Listen, they're gonna need a groundskeeper. Let's not <laughs> kid ourselves. No, Lincoln's a good kid. He's smart. Um, uh, you gotta think. So he's twelve. So he's college. I guess we're talking ten years. Si- from yeah. So now. let's, years let's from assume now. ten years from now. I mean, ideally, uh, President Honey Boo Boo is doing a good job? <laughs> or is it going to be Northwest Kardashian? I don't know. It'll be one or the other or maybe The Northwest Rock has a kid. Kardashian. I mean, let's not kid ourselves, folks. This doesn't end good. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I do think, you know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. I think we're going to force ourselves to a reckoning on a lot of the reckless things we're doing now in terms of not only taking the country for granted, but, you know, maybe a good example of this would be defund the police. You know, that was a trendy thing to do and big mun- municipalities cut police budgets. But what did they ultimately do is, in a lot of instances like New York, restore them. And that was, you know, necessity becoming the mother of invention. It was a horrific necessity. And that's what scares me about our society is I think we're going to force ourselves into a couple of hard choices that we didn't have to make. But I think we will course correct because the majority of the people in this country, when you get outside of the bubble, we're kind of in in terms of, you know, being on cable news and consuming a lot of cable news. The majority of the people aren't um, as bogged down by this as we are. You know, Twitter is not a reflection of the real world. Most of these people, you know, in the middle of the country, my wife's family's from Ohio. They're having a great time. I mean, they watch this stuff. They get mad at what Joe Biden does, but they still remember to live a life outside of their phone. And I think um, we will get back to that place. I am an optimist, despite all of these dire predictions about civil war apps and everything else. Um, But I do think, sadly, it'll take something, um, And I hope it's not something catastrophic like a 9-11, but something that forces us, you know, to have that moment of, oh, yeah, this whole time we were fighting, we were really playing for the same team.
1: And no one remembers that. Yeah, I I, I read an interesting article uh, recently, and and part of what it talked about is uh, the loss in belief. And respect for government institutions. Mm-hmm. Now, you can argue that Ronald Reagan had that approach back when he was popular mm-hmm. and, you know, and, you know, that's the that solution to the problem. Government yeah, is the problem. The worst yeah. words you can hear, right? Yeah, Hello, I'm government. With the government uh, and I'm here to help. Um, but I do worry that our debt is going to force that issue yeah. to a degree. And yeah, could there be um, some catastrophic? you know, environmental event, Mm -hmm. uh, something like that. Yes, but perhaps, I still believe the United States of America is the greatest country on the face of the planet because Mm -hmm. the spirit of America, I don't think you can, I don't think you can break that. But there are other factors that can push that breaking and cause us to fight amongst ourselves and that's, I guess over the next ten years, what I—that's a worry good about.
0: point. When you see the funding liabilities we have, you know that would ultimately force some type of.
1: I get reckoning. too wonky on these on this answer because I start looking at the books again. You know, there's got to be a day of reckoning at some point where the Lincolns of the world, or you know, <laughs> are going to come back and say. Yeah, you know that dollar. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Wasn't that cute when we thought gas was only going to be five dollars a gallon? That was cute. It's it's horrible to think
0: uh, the whole the, you know the whole union is riding uh, on Joe Manchin's back right now. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know Manchin? Can you tell him to vote no on a couple of these things? Because him and Sinema are all we got left. Otherwise, they're just printing it and they're spending it, and it's it's horrifying, and it's so reckless. But is that what modern? Without getting too wonky, that is essentially what modern monetary theory is. You just keep. Printing it, right? Yeah. And they don't they don't embrace debt as as some type of an adversity, but it's crippling if it becomes what we think it might. And I think you made the good point though, is that's how we'd probably wind up having that family meeting. You know, we have X amount of income, we have Y amount of bills, okay? And for all of the things we want to do, we have things we need to do that we will be unable to do. We have to get away from this pie in the sky notion of, yeah, the kids would love to go to Disney World every weekend, but if we actually yeah. did that, at some point dad's turning tricks behind Space Mountain. You know, <laughs> and dad ain't that cute, so it's going to be a lot of tricks, kids. I mean, you might not even I might not even have time to go on a ride, you know?
1: And I think everyone just needs to realize that. Um I try to figure out how to explain to the younger generation what those tricks might be. So, yes. oh, you know, juggling cards,
0: three-card Monty. I don't know where your head
1: was. I don't know how they do it out in Utah, Jason Chaffetz. <laughs> three, three-card Monty. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a point about this, but I can't keep my mind off dad doing tricks beyond Space Mountain. Hey, it's a long season. Nobody goes
0: undefeated. You know what I mean? The rent
1: don't pay itself. You know what I mean, kids? It gets tough out there. (laughs) All right. So, yeah. That is the one way to get yourself out of debt. No well,
0: you
1: know. <laughs> New York, you'd be surprised what I pick up in a taxi all those
0: days. There's a lot going on out there in these streets. What's the worst part of being a taxi driver? Uh, I mean... Probably people say the traffic, but here's the trade off because you're in traffic all day. You paid to if, be in traffic. Yeah, I was right? going to say if you're smart, you just kind of resign to your fate. <laughs> in the beginning, you're going to be in the car anyway. Yeah, exactly. You're like everyone who gets in is late for work, but you're not late for work. You you don't realize that the first like two weeks. You're like i oh, we got to get there. Oh my god, late. I woke up late and you're just as stressed as they are. But then you right. ultimately re- you I'm never going to see this guy again. And it's not my fault his alarm didn't go off or you know especially like the guy you don't feel bad for is when he gets in and he has glitter on his shirt. He's <laughs> clearly out some kind of of debauched party from the night before. I'm like, can you take off the Eyes Wide Shut mask if you at least want me to garner some sympathy for you? Uh, But in the beginning, it's it's, it's probably the traffic. I would think ultimately, um, if you have an ambition beyond it, it's that the there there is like a fatigue issue for your brain in that you are driving 12 hours a day on a short day, and uh, there's not much left of you by the time you get on stage. So I'm blaming the first two years of my stand-up act on cab driving. <laughs> right. that's, what, that's my disclaimer. Fair enough, fair enough.
1: One. You do it researching all the material, but yeah, yeah. then you got to execute the material oh, and have that energy man. level. And you yeah. got
0: nothing left in your brain. But I mean, aside from that, people are cooler than you think. And in this day and age still, it's so rare for anyone to talk to a stranger and get out of a phone that they do appreciate, like a chatty right, cab driver. Right, right. Assuming you're cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that part was, like, fun. You talk to everybody known. And I do mean everybody. Like, I've met people on other planets, 100%. Yeah. That I,
1: I love the, the, the whole premise of Men in Black was really yeah. quite good, you know? All <laughs> those strange people that you meet, they're really aliens. They really are Every aliens. one of them, dude. I guarantee you. <laughs> a great it. premise for a movie. Oh, it's so spotless. All right, I got to ask you some questions. Let's go, man. And I don't care Pumped how many... Up cab fares you've collected along the way how many tips you're not ready for these questions are you ready let's go chaffetz you don't scare me all right first
0: concert you attended Wow. I don't, again, this is going to be very masculine, but it was the Cranberries. <laughs> it was the Cranberries at the Beacon Theater. They had a big song called Zombie and Linger and a girl I liked at the time. I remember the Cranberries.
1: cranberries. are not the Cranberries, did they do the Friends uh, theme? That's not
0: them. I know who you're thinking of. But the Cranberries sang, you know, Do You Have to Let It Linger and a couple other jams. They were Irish band. They had a big from Cork. and I got that. I got yeah. that. I got my own answer. Right. Uh, All right. What was your high school mascot? The blue dragons. Blue dragons. You didn't <laughs> blue dragons. Can I tell you something really quick? I was such a horrific heckler in terms of my ability to destroy people's lives. Yes. That our team, which won four state championships, uh, are in what sport? In baseball. They were yeah. phenomenal. The late great Doug Robbins uh, he used to take me out of my class in seventh period and actually give me info on the kids we'd be heckling that day. <laughs> and this is another time <laughs> in America. New like, York's a little tougher a than other. It was his talk. job now, he'd probably be in prison. <laughs> I used to get scouting reports. You got scouting yeah, the, reports on is who the heck Brian D is the catcher for Garden City. He applied to Princeton and he didn't get in. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, <laughs> sit down behind the stands drinking a Slurpee full of gin. <laughs> ah, you know, maybe you would have caught that. You would have gotten into Princeton. <laughs> and it's like blowing the guy's mind. But yeah. did Diddy's paying attention. At the parade game in 1996, <laughs> Memorial Day game, Dennis Schneider threw a no-hitter, and I got the game wow. ball in front of the team. The kid who threw the no-hitter did not get it. Coach Robbins gave it to me. It's like epic ragging. You could actually change the outcome of a game back then. But it was militant heckling. It was bad. I'm not proud of it. But, uh, <laughs> but at the it same effective. time, I, At the same time, I am. Yeah. Coach loved it. Yeah, those state titles don't lie.
1: You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is a classic New York story. I've never heard that. But who was your first celebrity crush? Ooh, that's a good one. Hold on a second now. I'm and I'm
0: going to give it some real thought because I really want to think about this. It was probably Debbie Harry. No. Oh, because wow. Blondie was like a happening thing. She was she yeah. was she was happening, and she had like she had the big like late seventies, early eighties hair, and it was like the that vibe was everywhere. But she was the first one that I knew as like a celebrity that looked like people I walked around with. Like my sister had a lot of great right. looking friends. that used to babysit and stuff, and I was a <laughs> dirtbag kid because they would always try to scare you. I as believe like, you. As a, <laughs> I remember I remember when I was a little kid her my sister friend Diana would be like you better go to bed or I'm gonna give you a smooch and I'd be like baby I'm up all night. <laughs> it was a loser. <laughs> all right, Debbie Harry, that's the first. That's good. Uh what's your favorite vegetable? Oh wow. Um I'm g i am guess I'm gonna say fried zucchini, but
1: <laughs> oh. it has to be fried. fried oh, and anything fried is gonna work out. Yeah. yeah, it'll get bottom. You know, I've asked this question like Two dozen times. I've never gotten the same answer. Is that true? Not everybody sticks to the actual, they can't even name a vegetable. (laughs) But that's good. Uh, So if you had a chance to sit down and interview and maybe go to dinner, break some bread with Bigfoot, what would you be asking them? how oh, Bigfoot like how how did you how did you pull
0: off the hiding I think is what I would ask right you know I just read Chris Wallace's book about finding Bin Laden like he pulled it off for 8 years which we're all amazed by or 11 right. years Bigfoot has pulled it off assuming this is our guy yeah, Daryl since, yeah. be- <laughs> since, the, since the
1: beginning of I, time I don't know is there more than one I yeah. mean that's what I want to know is there a Mrs. Bigfoot that'd be a
0: good that'd be funny if Bigfoot surfaced it'd be like 3 days before he got cancelled for some problematic tweets We like you know was, he actually had a burner account in the woods and said some things about the election we didn't like. <laughs> Let me add this caveat. I, th- I think that would be my question to Bigfoot. It would actually be why did you bother coming out? Because why would you want to be a part of this? The woods sound great right now. Do they not? Like if you could be Ted Kaczynski minus the mail habit, you know, if you're the guy that was like
1: <laughs> minus the expensive FedEx bill, you could just be a guy in the woods minding his own business. I might sign up for that. Why did you come out? All right. Um, so you have been on television, you get recognized, but if you, if people recognize you, but they don't recognize you as yourself, what other celebrity do they, oh, you know what, you look just like. You know what's funny? When I was younger and I had, and I mean this,
0: when I first got into stand-up, I had, <laughs> it's so embarrassing, I had platinum blonde hair and people thought I was Lance Bass from Insane. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs>
1: now uh, I uh Lance get, Bass Yeah, I'm going to call you that one that's I see funny. you in the hallway at Fox I'm going to say hey Lance
0: Lance Bass
1: it's easier than pronouncing Flully or Falafel Jimmy
0: Foley's here it's Lance and now yeah later in life I look like the behind the music version of the lead singer of Smash Mouth like he just life took a bad turn
1: that is such a great show behind the music I love that show Smash Mouth alright that's good um do you have a pet growing up? What was yeah, your favorite right, listen,
0: pet? I had an indoor/outdoor cat named Frisky, who lived to be twenty-four. Wow, indoor that's outdoor, a long time for a four, cat. Four kids in my family, and she was indoor/outdoor. She watched a lot of Whiffle ball, a lot of touch football. But twenty-four—it's probably a state What right? do
1: you account? What, what, what do you chalk that up? it been good. Um I mean good eating? What just good New York
0: living? What? Maybe some good jeans. Yeah. Uh the frisky she the cat She eat a mouse once a She she, week? she was a yeah, she was that's probably what it was. She was a big she was doing an Atkins. She was eating a lot of birds. <laughs> She's eating a lot of a lot of birds, a lot of mice. Lot she of, led she put up big numbers. If you had frisky on your fantasy team, she was getting you like five <laughs> seagulls a weekend. I mean, you were crushing people. Didn't matter who they started. Uh most embarrassing moment in your life. Whoa. I mean obviously the easy would be this podcast, but I kid. No, I've, I've, we've acquitted ourselves well. I'm just giving us some tough love. Uh, I think, uh, I want to be fair about this. This is a good story. When I was a, a junior in high school, um, it was a girl, Andrea Cullen, who was an aerobics instructor at Lucia Roberts, just a knockout fox. She was in my biology lab and I wanted to ask her to the prom. This, what, 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 what ensues next is a billion percent true. So the next day, I was going to my gym. My brother worked at it. It was called a Jack LaLanne. Oh, yeah. Okay, Jack LaLanne, old workout guy. Yeah. Next to Jack LaLanne, it was like in a strip mall. There was a Nana's little diner. There was like a nail salon. There was like a tanning salon. It was a strip mall. As I'm walking into Jack LaLanne, who should come walking around the corner? But the girl I had planned on asking to the prom, just the spectacular confluence of events. There's Andrea Cullen. She's got her yoga mat. She's on her way down, like five stores down to go to Liseo Roberts. So I run into her. We have some kind of nervous, dumb exchange, but there's nothing along the lines of anything. It's just nervous and dumb. But as she keeps walking and I'm about to go into the gym, I pause so I can check out her butt. Guilty. That happened. Okay. (laughs) She's about 50 feet away when she looks over her shoulder, sees it happening. Okay. Just like a smile keeps going. Next day at lab, I'm going to ask her to the prom. That's the plan, right? So when we get our break at lab, uh, I go over to her to start my little nervous conversation. She goes, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah. She goes, do you really go to the gym? I go, why? She goes, because I saw you standing outside, and I thought maybe you were really going to Nana's diner, but you didn't want to admit it because you're fat. (laughs) And I was like, oh, duh, will you go to the prom with me? And I, and I didn't. I didn't
1: spit it out. I just took the loss. I didn't took the loss. I was like, or no, no, I
0: go to the gym. I'm getting there, you know, I'm trying. But, it, was, <laughs> but it, it happened just like that. She
1: had been chewing on that all night. She's like, you just go to the gym.
0: But again, that 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 told
1: me back to reading the room. Now that's the moment where you read the room. You don't ask to go to the prom. <laughs> all right, that's pretty good. All right. Uh if you could meet one person, dead or alive, who would it be? <sighs> Great one, Elvis. Definitely Elvis. I love I definitely... the king.
0: I grew up in a big Elvis house. I liked Fat Elvis. You know, jumpsuit Elvis, even though he probably lost the fastball a little bit. Yeah. There was a little bit of all of us in Fat Elvis. You know, he liked he liked his food, the peanut butter and banana thing, and but he still had like <laughs> Elvis status, you know. <laughs> and I just feel like he was more accessible. Nobody could be young, handsome, suave, debonair, you know, postage stamp Elvis, but we could all throw on a jumpsuit. Did you ever notice you never see an Elvis impersonator doing the young guy? That's true. If you go to Vegas, you go anywhere else, they're, they're all in that big
1: drum. stones are very forgiving if you get a big enough cape. <laughs> All right, unique talent nobody knows about.
0: Ooh, hold on a second. Uh, I can beat Mario Brothers on One Life. Really? That's how, that's, how, that's, how many Dang, dates, that's how many dates I didn't go on in middle school. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I can, beat, I can beat Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's punch out, which was uh, at the time my wow. most substantial um, athletic achievement. That was a big deal to me. Yeah. Because he throws a minute and a half of uppercuts. But if you learn this, if you're as shut in as I was, he <laughs> winks and tells you, if you notice which eye he winks with, that's which eye the uppercut's coming from. So if you see his right eye wink, you dodge left. If you see his left eye wink, you dodge right. So, wow, yeah. gonna, you get a lot of people now that are gonna. Oh, I just changed a life because beating yeah. Mike Tyson in punch out was a big deal to a lot of people. Yeah, you know? that was a big game. I met Mike Tyson at like a boxing event. Nice guy, but
1: he really chews your ear off. Everybody, Come on. <laughs> Gosh. All right. Pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? No, absolutely not. Good. You got that answer right. Mm-hmm. Judges like that answer. <laughs> uh, if you want to kind of get away, just clear your head. You know, you got the intensity of the show and mm-hmm. life and your dad and all that. What, what, how do you just like, I want to step away. What's that other thing that Jimmy likes to Driving. do? Driving. I like the road. I miss the road. Because as a cab driver, you drive 12 hours a day. Now, you know, you get
0: basically get on New York City, mass transit, cheat death for five minutes and you're here, you know. Um, So I whenever I need an outlet, I actually just get on the road and go anywhere. Could be tri-state. Could You really do need to
1: live out west. You really love the, the west. I mean, everything's a drive and it's not close. It's amazing. Everywhere we go in my family.
0: We always rent a convertible so we can just see more, and we never stop driving. The week we were in Utah, we put 1,600 miles on that car. It's wow. not really a vacation. You just pop the top, blast the radio, and you go. And Utah, where you guys are at, are fantastic. Route 15, we didn't see a cop from West Jordan all the way up to the Idaho border, which is probably 100 miles. Didn't see a cop. It was great. The minute you get into Idaho, like Pocatello, it's eight cops, nine times.
1: They well, and if you go down southern Utah, the speed limit's 80.
0: So isn't you that can, nuts? Yes. It's amazing. But you can't. I mean, they, there's no grace period though. Right. Like if in a 65, if you're doing a 70, you'll get out of a ticket. But in an 80, if you're doing 82, you're probably getting
1: a ticket. That's right. Yeah, that's Laura? right. They're, they're, they figure out oh, we can give you a grace on 55. They'll probably give you 15 miles if you're at 70. They may give something. you eight miles. Yeah. But when you're going 80, yeah, you don't get away with 85.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't help that my, my son Lincoln, when he's in the back, like whenever I've been pulled over with him in the car, he'll start banging on the trunk like there's someone in there. I'm like, no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> you, oh, he is a comic. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. that. <laughs> that's, that's a great You love it because he's not doing it to you. When we go to the grocery store, my son walks around and goes, my dad won't buy food for the dog. Will you just feed the dog? And everyone in the food store like, thinks you're this horrific character. And I've had women say, well, you, sh- you should feed the dog. I'll tell your dad to feed the dog. I'm like, my son is a jerk. Our dog is fat. He's a beagle. But you know, it's that's what he does. He likes awkward humor. I, I like this. I, next time we're gonna do the. Yeah, like he's a better. He's a much
1: better interview. Should have probably done that podcast. With like, <laughs> we'll talk to his agent. Uh, what do you think about UFOs? Real? Not real? What's I, the? listen? I, I actually do think there's
0: something out there. I think they probably have come here, observed this culture, and were like, nah. You know, there's a funny story about we can how do better. Larry David back in his stand up days kinda hated stand up and there's this famous story of him walking out from behind the curtain, he looked at the crowd and he goes, Nah. And he just walked away and didn't do his set. And I believe UFOs spent five minutes on like Twitter or Facebook and were like, Yeah, no. These are they're all looking at some device in their hand, showing you know, it's all stupid stuff. Here's a for some reason they're all giving out their unsolicited top five Rockies in order. Nobody knows why. Like it's so stupid.
1: All right, last question. Best advice you ever got? Oh, wow.
0: Uh, Your attitude defines your experience. Someone told me that in my cab. Hmm. You have a good attitude. You can make a good life for yourself regardless of circumstance. You have a bad attitude. It can really drag you down. Um, And I have kind of used that as like my north star through everything. I'm like, is this not working or am I just being a baby? You know, because we get tired, you get depressed, you drag yourself down. Uh, Other one is, you know, go to someone, if you go to someone looking for help, you'll get advice. If you go to someone looking for advice, you'll get help. So just go Mm. looking You know, in life. People do want to help you, but just go looking for advice. Don't put the bite on everybody. That's the problem now, especially in showbiz, is everybody in showbiz wants to meet the guy who knows the guy. But the problem is, if you meet the guy, okay, and you don't have an act, you just wasted all of that crazy, dumb nepotism. So you're just better off getting advice and like holding yourself accountable. So have a good attitude. You can have a decent life. I mean, if I can sit here with you, you know, and we've got millions of people around the world who know we are and we're listening, like, I think that's supposed to be the reminder to everybody that anything is possible here, you know, like where we live. Right. And that's what I want people to embrace more is like, there is a level of upward mobility in our society that doesn't exist anywhere, you know? Yeah. So that's what I hope people get that.
1: Yeah. I, I think, and you mentioned that right at the beginning yeah. here, and, and that is... Did you're kind of in on the joke that we have it better than 99% of the world. Everybody. We are the 1%. Like, if you yeah. live in America, no matter what you do, yeah. you drive You a hit cab, the lottery. Yeah, you won. Yeah.
0: And everyone forgets that. It's like, we hit the lottery, uh, but we're all tearing up the ticket. You know, we're all like, if we live in the biggest party in the world and we're all fighting for control of the iPod that's playing the music instead of just enjoy the party, everybody. Chill out.
1: Yeah. No, a lot lot of good advice and and, uh, a lot of good insight, a lot of good fun that you bring to a lot of people and and it's got to be real satisfying that way. So, you know, sometimes I think you sit in a studio and you don't Mm -hmm. feel it, but then when you go out across America and and you get to talk to people and see and hear their stories and recognize that, yeah, yeah, we all have hardships. We all have places we don't want to go and hard Mm -hmm. things that happen. Happen. But we also are part of the greatest country that's ever been on the planet. So thank you. Uh, we should end yeah. this before I sing Lee Greenwood because I'll do it, Chief. it's <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's a true story. I was at the Stadium of Fire, uh-huh. uh, which oh, is the big yeah, yeah. celebration, uh-huh. and this year's lead was Lee Greenwood. And I thought,
0: <laughs> Well, you didn't ask me what my last concert was, but I was in a casino and Herman's Hermits came on. They sang, like, something tells me I'm into something good, and it was funny because he told the story about it. He's like, yeah, this something happened in 1958, which was the last year we had a hit. It was actually funny. (laughs) Well, I
1: was actually driving from Arizona to Utah, which is actually kind of a fun drive to to take. We were out in the middle of an Indian reservation, and I hadn't seen a human being for I don't know how long. And there's going to be another couple hours of just there's just nothing out there except a billboard, which was Air Supply. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, how bad did things get for Air Supply that they're playing uh. out in the middle of absolutely nowhere? So. <laughs> Stay in school, kids. <laughs> Stay in school. Jimmy Fela. Yes, that's your name. Boom failure <laughs> I can it. get that Jimmy fail he's uh he's got a, a a great show I highly recommend that you listen to on on, on Fox uh, news radio and just an all-around good guy you know I've been very blessed to be able to interact with uh, the Fox family here and glad our paths uh, have crossed so thanks for joining us on the Jason and the house podcast we'll always have this <laughs> <laughs> Be well man all right Jimmy I can't thank him enough for joining us on the show that is just a hoot to listen to there's so many things that he's said and talked about in that podcast i appreciate him joining us we want to thank you all for listening to the jason and the house podcast you can find more from the fox news podcast network over at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts we'd love it if you would rate it subscribe to it but certainly rate it hit those stars to be helpful to us and we'll be back with more next week i'm jason chaffetz and this has been jason in the house